Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Triple Threat Sports, Marishka's in Crest Hill, Chuck's Southern Comforts Cafe, Rabbit Brewing in Homewood, Illinois, and by Michael Elwood of Remax First Service, serving the Chicagoland area. Here are your hosts, NBC Chicago's James Naveau and 670 The Scores hockey guy, Jay Zawoski. Let's drop the puck. Welcome in, my friends, to a full edition of the Manhattan Chicago Hockey Podcast. Yes, that's right. Jay Zawoski is back from his desert sojourn. He's grown a beard and gotten really tan and has some really weird thoughts about life in general. Homewood's very own Jay Zawoski is back with me, James Naveau. I am always, as always, from NBC5 Chicago, and we are here to talk about the streaking Chicago Blackhawks, who have won two games in a row to keep their faint, scant, very faint, uh, I don't even know any other adjectives for it. Their playoff hopes are very small. And we're here to talk about them. <laughs> Jay, how was your trip? Uh, it was really nice. It was wonderful. Arizona in the first week of March is like the one time it's acceptable to go there and not either suffer heat stroke or, you know, it's it was just perfect, perfect weather. Mid-70s, sunny the whole time. Uh, went to two games at Sloan and then went to a game at uh, Talking Stick to see the uh, Diamondbacks and Reds. That was a very red game. Then the Cubs and Royals played on Wednesday, and that was a very blue game. So it was difficult to like decipher which team was which and all this stuff. But, man, I love being there for spring training. It is so beautiful. It's so nice. Um, it's funny. Like I actually got a chance to unplug a little bit, even though I was out there for work. Um, just kind of did our shows and kind of hung out, and it was nice. It was kind of like a, a work vacation, if there is such a thing. Yeah, and you got to uh, become intimately familiar with the day-to-day habits of a Danny Parkins, and I'm sure that was just a, a hootenanny, if you will. Well, the thing is, like, 
the other shows, we were on different schedules. So a lot of them, they'd be asleep when we'd wake up, and then we would get back to the house, and they'd be doing their show. So there wasn't too much, like, forced closeness um, <laughs> the whole time. That's definitely what worried me about the scorehouse, is I thought you guys would end up killing each other. Yeah, no, not at all. It really could not have been... Um, it really could not have been a better thing than it was. It was, it was really terrific. Uh, it was a great trip. I know everyone was like looking forward to all of us killing each other, but it never even really came close to that. So, um, it was was a great time. It was a great time. And I I have a funny anecdote, uh, and I promise we'll get to hockey, but I went to, so flying home, I'm in sky Harbor waiting for my flight and I go into the gift shop and they've got hats for every team in the cactus league except one do you want to guess the one team they did not have i'm gonna guess the diamondbacks no <laughs> that would have been funny think um, about my, se- my, my <laughs> second guess would be the white side that is correct yeah yeah <laughs> i I, like, I, oh I had to go with like the most absurd one first and then i was like okay then logic would dictate that <laughs> the white Sox would be the forgotten team yep that's uh t- pretty typical i you know i'm not making fun of it either but I know like White Sox fans have this complex of like everyone hates us, no one respects us, and there's always proof that that is sort of true. Yeah. Um. So I was like, oh man, of course. Anyway, you hockey. know what? If they had signed Bryce Harper, I bet there would have been some White Sox. See, stuff. now you're being mean and mean spirited, and, and I'm not no, here for that. because White Sox fans have been saying that all week. Like every time an article comes up that says like, oh, Bryce Harper's increased the Phillies Twitter engagements by 600% and they've sold like a million tickets. White Sox fans were like, oh, that's nice. I wonder uh, what other market team could have uh, done that, mm, you know? Yeah. Mm. All right. Yeah, well, I, feel, I feel bad for White Sox fans. And so with that, let's talk about the Blackhawks. Yeah. So I was like I said, I, ha- I was not uh, locked and loaded on hockey, obviously, out in Arizona, but I did catch up on the two games that I missed. It was nice that they only played twice uh, while I was out of town. And last night's game, a couple things stood out about last night's win over the Stars. Um, I feel like it was the first game where I felt really good about Corey Crawford. I think he had a good game. I think that was important for him to finally get one under his belt where he uh, performed well, even though like, he hasn't been bad. There have been moments in every game since he's come back where you're like, Ugh. you know, that was kind of maybe a little bit soft or he's a little bit out of position or isn't bouncing up as quickly, whatever. Last night was by far his best performance since he's returned from his second concussion. So uh, that to me, if I'm taking anything away from that game, was how how good Corey Crawford looked and how I think he probably needed a a performance like that in a big game on the road to put together a performance like that. I think that if I'm taking anything away from that from that win, that's it. That's what I'm taking away. I thought he looked kind of rough against the Sabres. His rebound control was pretty bad Is he just didn't look like he was squaring up in the crease properly. But you know what? This is a thing that always happens with Corey Crawford. I think back to many a playoff series like the Minnesota Wild in 2013 jumps out that Crawford kind of struggled at the beginning of that series. And then all of a sudden just dialed it in after that, like one really bad game where he had several soft goals. There have been other times, obviously, throughout the course of this kind of current run of uh, Blackhawks hockey that he's done that where he's had just like a couple of really shaky performances and then just come out and lit the world on fire. It's like he 
kind of gets like triggered a little bit by I don't I hate using that word, but it's kind of true. No, like, I know he what you just mean. Kinda, he he kind of gets locked in by failure and by screwing up, and like he, it's like something clicks and he immediately like can flip the switch, and that's exactly what he did last night. I thought like he his play was excellent, obviously, and I thought the defense as a whole didn't look awful last night and it's against the Dallas team that's pretty fast and pretty good like they won a ton of the stars won a ton of faceoffs last night they were really dominating possession a lot of times in the game but it didn't feel like the Blackhawks were just in full-time scramble mode like it's felt in other games against kind of quick uh, playoff caliber teams this season so I kind of I appreciated the change of pace that the Blackhawks gave us last night, both on the defensive end and then, as you said, uh, the way Corey Crawford bounced back from what I thought was a rough game against the Buffalo Sabres. Yeah, and and I think there were a couple times last night, too, where we saw the Hawks matching their pace. There were a couple. uh, They didn't end up in goals, but there was a chance for Chris Kunitz. There was a chance for Dominic Cahoon where the Hawks, with some speed, were generating scoring chances. The forwards, now the forward speed has not been an issue. Um, You know, they've got some guys that can keep up. But uh, to see them sort of, be, like like you said, be able to keep up with a speedy team like the Stars, um, yeah, I, it was encouraging. I, I, w- I was pretty uh, happy with what I saw last night. I hate watching a game when you know the result. Do you have that issue, too? Like, where it's just not the same? <laughs> it's like Right, it's not the same kind of like edge of your seat like attitude because you're like, oh, well, I know they end up winning 2-1. to one. Like, the second Blackhawks goal gets scored, and you're like, well, that's it. Yeah. That's the last goal that's getting scored in this game. Yeah, that that, that, that kind of sucks. And I was I was out last night uh, and watched the game when I got home, and I'm like, dumb. I stupidly opened up Instagram. I'm like, God, bless it. <laughs> ah. <laughs> I blew it. No, there were anyway. But yeah, no, I, I think a, a good, a, a solid win. Obviously, they all are incredibly important right now. Um, it still is a very, very slim chance, like you said, when we started that they're in the playoffs. But a couple guys I want to point out, by the way, that I think have played well over the last little bit, and I just mentioned both of them. Uh, Dominic Cahoon, I think, has really turned a corner here over the last month or so. Um, and, and sure, he's not getting huge statistical results, but uh, you're seeing the creativity, you're seeing the offensive ability that the Blackhawks thought they were getting when they signed him in the first place uh that touch pass goal was that the Patrick Kane in the Buffalo game where he just kind of it was like a tic-tac-toe sprung him on a breakaway um really really beautiful touch pass from uh Dominic Cahoon and and he's a guy playing with speed and playing with some skill and I thought honestly that Chris Kunitz over the last two or three games has had his best stretch as a hawk and now it's not saying much it's not like he's done much of a damn thing all season. But last night, Chris Kunis had five shots on goal and two more shot attempts. And that's a solid game. And he did it in only 11 minutes and 52 seconds of ice time. He has, uh, over the last little stretch here, and I know, very small sample size. But if we're going to be critical when guys suck, we got to be honest when they're playing well. And Chris Kunitz right now is playing pretty well. Yeah, it's been uh, definitely noticeable the last couple of games. I know we were kind of giving him some crap when he got the uh, the thousandth game at home. Like the Blackhawks like rigged it to where he would get that uh, honor on United Center Ice. And then all of a sudden it was like he hit a thousand games and he's like, oh, yeah, I can still play hockey just a little bit. Like he's not lighting the world on fire. He's not going to score like 25 goals or anything crazy like that. But he definitely has allowed the Blackhawks to uh Break up Patrick Kane and Jonathan Tabes and not like miss a huge like opportunity to get some offense going. Like it it was weird. Like I thought for sure 
when they broke Kane and Taves up, I was like, well, the tank is probably back on now. I think they're going to try to give the young guys some looks and it's going to be bad and they're going to lose. But instead, guys like Chris Kuhn and Tamilia, oh, no, 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 no. We're actually going to like continue to get some good offensive pressure. And it's been really interesting to watch kind of the new line combinations like gel together a little bit. And it's been interesting watching Colladin try different combinations, too. Like it's been kind of a fluid situation, a very Quendall-esque situation, it seems like these last couple of games. And it's worked a little bit. It feels like the Blackhawks are a little bit less stale than they were and it's come through with uh, two victories and some really good play by guys not named Patrick Gain and Jonathan Taves. It's been a really good change of pace. Well, and that's, you know, when they were having that huge winning streak and, and when you and I discussed it, like kind of not being sustainable, you can't expect Kane and Taves to carry the load every night, even though they were, especially Kane, obviously, just absolutely carrying the team on his back. Uh, we knew that wasn't going to last. It's just not fair to expect two, three points a night from anybody. Uh, and and finally, when it dried up, it sort of caught up with them a little bit. But you're right. Having those guys, those other those periphery players contribute, That's that was the key. Uh, it's been the key over the last little bit here. So um, it, I don't know. I don't – there's seven points out of the playoffs right now. There's 14 games to go. I just – I want to believe. I really do. Uh, but when you really – when you take a close look at the standings – the Blackhawks are a lot closer to the Edmonton Oilers than they are to, uh, you know, the Dallas Stars and the Minnesota Wild. It's just, I don't know, man. It, it's it's going to be hard for me to believe. And even though they got that hot streak, and even though Corey Crawford's back, and even though he looked good last night, I just don't find, I, don't, I just don't see a path to the playoffs for this team. And maybe it's for the better, um, but I, I think we are going to end up in that sort of hockey hell we talk about where they're going to have like yeah, a top 10 pick that's great but it's not going to be anything that changes the franchise overnight like they could have um i don't know i i'm just i'm having trouble convincing myself they're going to somehow uh pull out of this thing I, I don't know how you're feeling but it just looks very very unlikely to me well i mean i i felt all along that they just did not have the defense to even if they somehow like eked their way into the playoffs it didn't feel like they had the defense to really do anything when they got there anyway so I've been kind of like the resident pessimist about this whole thing even while they've been like making this run like yeah it'd be great I'd rather see them in the playoffs than you know finish 10th or 11th in the Western Conference and get stuck with probably like the 8th or 9th pick in the draft and unfortunately the scenario that I laid out that I didn't want to happen is naturally the one that's probably going to happen they're probably going to you know have an even split of their remaining what is it like 14 or 15 games they're probably going to like win half of them and lose half of them get stuck in that position where they finish like nine points out of a playoff spot and end up with like the top eight pick again and it's just like I would have much rather seen them just continue to have like the young guys up here and developing and making mistakes at the NHL level looking at you Henry Yokoharu and instead we've got these veterans like Chris Kunitz who are playing out of their minds and are failing at this tanking thing Kunitz <laughs> knock it off man what's wrong with you yeah he was um, number one star last night by the way Chris Kunitz <sighs> if you Okay, if you had told me at the beginning of the season that Chris Kunitz would manage one first star performance, I would have died. I would have keeled over and died. Like, I just, that is not something that would have been on my radar at all. Yeah, unless the league did like what we do and honor people with uh, achievements and give them a star for that. 
(laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Like, no, that doesn't count. Like, we, because obviously we could have doctored that result, but like the Dallas Stars beat writer, whoever it was, like, was it Scott Burnside maybe had three stars duties last night? Like, Uh, Sean Shapiro of The Athletic. Ah, see, mm, I should have known. Yeah, Burnside works for what? NHL.com now, right? Yep. Yeah, I remember back in the day when he used to work with Pierre Lebrun at ESPN. Ah, when ESPN maybe gave a little bit of a crap about hockey. Those were the days, like 20 years ago, when Bill Pito yeah. and uh, John Bucci-Gross were running NHL tonight. Yep. <sighs> Good old Bucci. Bucci, Bucci. Maine. That He's like okay. one of the last let me, hockey let me get this straight. Left. Did he give himself that nickname? I need to know. I don't think so. Can if you he do did, that? He needs to shut up. Can you give yourself a nickname? No. Yeah, you that can't is, do that. That's like 100% wrong. No. Yeah. Like, well, I completely disagree with people who give themselves nicknames. Like, wasn't it Brent Sopel called you Zauzer? No, that was Mac. Oh, well, whatever. It still counts as a nickname because you didn't give it to yourself. No, you can't do that. That's stupid. Um, yeah, I agree. So, yeah, the, the people that care about hockey at ESPN, uh, John Butchagross. Uh, I guess Barry Melrose is like still technically on the payroll. They like is pull he? him out of mothballs like, every year. Him. Yeah, the, like right before Game Seven of the Stanley Cup Final, they're like, "Oh, we should probably get Barry Melrose here." Uh, you know, as a little wink nudge to hockey. And Linda Cohen <laughs> is a huge hockey fan too. I I do have to give some credit to their online presence. Uh, Greg Wachinski and Emily Kaplan are doing yeah, good stuff good. for hockey. Yeah, on the online side of things, I. Uh, I always forget that Greg moved over to ESPN. Obviously, everybody remembers him for working at Yahoo, which do they do a hockey anymore at Yahoo? Do they still have a hockey blog? I just followed Puck Daddy and continue to. And you're right. I, I always forget, too. I always forget yeah. ESPN until I click a story. Change yep. your avatar, bro. Maybe I'll know your something's changed. He still has that Mystery <laughs> hey, Science man, Theater. Don't, don't knock Mystery <laughs> Science Theater 3000. I will not have that. I know, but he's just had it for... I mean, he was one of the first hockey people on Twitter, and it's been. Yeah. This, I guess it's good. You know, when you see that icon, who's talking? So that's probably the whole point of it, right? I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I I've enjoyed this season very much. I've said that a lot. Uh, I'm actually going to the game tomorrow night, and I'm super excited about that. But I think we finally got to the point where it's like, all right, you know, this is this is probably over. And every little scenario we try to talk ourselves into, um, it's not going to happen. And it, it's kind of bumming me out. I did find myself getting caught up in the, and I know you were the resident pessimist, um, and I kind of was too, just not as much. Um, but I was kind of getting excited, like, wow, what if they really do this? Like, against all odds, they rally. Patrick Kane just pl- literally carries them into the playoffs. That'd be cool to see, but it is not going to happen, and I am sad. I have the saddest. Yeah. Have we uh, decided whether or not Patrick Kane's going to be a Hart Trophy nominee? Uh, he'll be a nominee for sure. He's not going to win. Um, I think Nikita Kucherov's going to win, even though I think that goes against the idea of most valuable. I agree. but See, I think if, if Kane got them into the playoffs, I think it was his. Because there, literally there's no argument like, look, this team is not good on paper. They are horrible defensively. And it took literally Patrick Kane having a career year to get them to sneak into the playoffs had that happened or if it happens then i think he's got a really strong case but if they don't if they don't make the playoffs they probably won't i i still think he should for the record yeah there's no doubt i just don't think he will yeah i, I kind of love the fact that like patrick kane's like probably going to get nominated for the heart and all the focus has been on him uh alex to has 37 goals i know 
That's crazy. So nuts. That goal he scored last night, Tori just blasted up the middle. Oh my God. <sighs> and the shootout goal he scored. The other hockey night was hockey like, oh, pornography man. is what that was. Because now you see DeBrinket's gotten to the point where he's like sort of feeling it. Yes. Like he's like, oh, guess what? I am really good. <laughs> you know, and I don't. Oh, and he's still got one year left on his ELC, so he's still going to be really cheap next year too. Yeah. Then what? We'll figure then it out. Then you're going to have to pay the man. Let's cross that bridge when we get there. Oh, but... I swear. Oh, if this turns into another Brandon Sod thing, I might quit the. I might it, quit the podcast. It can't. It can't. No, oh, I will just. Oh. He's already had better seasons than Sod Sod has had, right? I'm, like, just, what is I'm sur- just. I mean, like he's a guy that you look at and it's like, oh, come on, that guy has to be like untouchable. He's not getting traded, and then yeah, he well, has we, to get paid, and yeah. We said that about Tavo. We said that about uh, not maybe not as much as Nick Schmaltz, mm. but when this season was starting, that was like we were talking about Nick Schmaltz for the next seven eight years as part of this and, team. Yeah, well, I don't want to think about Alex DeBrinkett falling into that camp and being gone. I don't want to think about it. I don't. I I can't imagine that. They promote him like he's a star. They treat him like a star. Like you never saw that with Schmaltz, and we always sort of question it with Tavo. Like, why is like why do Eddie O and Foley never talk up Tavo? Why do they Why do they always point out his mistakes? And I think they were sort of doing the same thing with Schmaltz. And I'm not saying like they're in on decisions that are made by the front office but they I were think, trying to tank his trade value is clearly what they were doing <laughs> maybe I, I think that they have a feeling though of like how the organization feels about people and mm. i i am very confident that the brinkett's going to be here a long time just based right, well, on the way he's t- just put his curse on uh alex de he's gone bye I, yeah i also think chris kunitz is going to be here a long time does it work that way too <laughs> and brent seabrook he signs <laughs> Chris Kunitz signs a three-year extension tomorrow. <laughs> well, that'd be the reverse curse. It doesn't work that way. That'd be kind of weird, man. I, I would. I would. Uh, well, it's what you secretly really want to happen. Is like you secretly want Debrinkit to stay, and then he'll be gone, and yeah. then you want Chris Kunitz to go, and he'll stay. Like that's that's the way it works, right? I probably. Just knowing nah, me. I don't know. we, we've knowing we discussed my track record. the Zawaski curse a lot. I don't know if we've ever come to a consensus on it. It's because it's just it's ever changing. Mm. Your curse is very uh shape shiftery, I guess. Yeah, there you go. Whatever I don't want it to be is how it works. Um yeah. so I mentioned Kahuna, I mentioned Kunitz. Has there any been anyone over this last little stretch here that has given you any sort of um long term thought on their future? Like Slater Cuckoo is a guy who I've been kind of keeping a close eye on um, just to see, like, okay, is this someone that could actually be part of things as we go? They weren't able to move anyone at the deadline, as we know. So this logjam at defense still exists. I Like, are you going to keep Slater Cuckoo around so you block Boquist or Bodan or Mitchell? Like, I, have you seen much from Cuckoo to make you feel like, yeah, this is a guy that's here to stay? I've seen a bunch of really bad turnovers. Honestly, all I've really, yeah, I've all I've really seen from him are mistakes, and I'm just, I don't think that he's, he's not a very fleet of foot skater. Like he can't cover up when he makes a mistake. Like some guys can like cover that up with like raw speed, and they can go back and get the puck, or at least back check and interrupt the shot. Slater Cuckoo definitely is not like that, and I just don't, I don't think his like positioning, I don't think his uh, decision making. Like at first in his Blackhawks run, I was like, okay, I can, I can deal with this. Like, this isn't that bad. Obviously it was kind of a, you know, a guy for a guy kind of trade, hoping for a change of scenery to kind of spark the new guy. And it just, it didn't really work. I don't think, I, th- I feel like Slater Cuckoo, 
I strongly doubt that he's in the organization's future plans, and I I don't know for sure whether or not Adam Boquist is going to be up here uh, next season. I'm I'm starting to doubt it a little bit, but I highly doubt that what would happen is that Slater Cuckoo would block him. If he's ready for the NHL, I think Adam Boquist would be here, and I think Slater Cuckoo will be on a uh, train to crazy town. Because his name's Cuckoo. Gotcha. <laughs> I like that. That is insensitive to the mentally ill, and I take issue with that. Um, so are we assuming, and I think we are, that Yokoharu is going to be here from day one next year? Are you I of swear, that assumption? I swear to God, if he's not, I'm going to be mad. Yeah, I know. And and I just mentioned you know, the way they treated uh, Tavo and the way they treated Schmaltz. I'm getting a similar vibe about Yokoharu. Like, you don't hear anyone... Like wow, look at the great perform! Like look at the great things this kid's doing, and yeah, he's learning on the job. I don't know; it just has a weird feel about it, and I, I don't get why he's not here. I really don't. Like you can't tell me he's not a better defenseman than several of the guys that are playing every night on this team. He is, but wasn't it? Wasn't the whole knock on him his uh, mentality? Like he was like dwelling too much on his mistakes, and he was like allowing it to affect his play a little bit. Wasn't the whole idea that he wasn't playing with enough confidence, and so they paradoxically sent him down to the minors, which isn't exactly the thing that would infuse you with more confidence. Like that's kind of the vibe I got. Well, Is I don't, that what you've been hearing? I don't remember it being a like he is he can't like. The way you just said it, I, I I did not hear it that way. Like he can't recover mentally if he makes a mistake. I just think that he was physically trying so hard just to. This is what I was I was told or sort of hinted at anyway, that he was trying so hard just to stay afloat that it was almost detrimental. And yeah, while well, you looked at him on the ice, you're like, look at him, he's doing fine, right? He's as good as anybody out here. He's not a Norris Trophy candidate by any means. He's not lighting up the score sheets by any means, but he's out here performing uh, solid, you know, number three, number four level defensive play. But what I was told is kind of like to get to that level was an absolute every night, 100% effort. And I know you want 100% effort from your players. Right. I know. I get that. But realistically, there's going to be moments where guys let down a little bit and where they can let down a little bit. That was not the case for Yokoharu, and it was just – it became kind of detrimental to have him struggling is the wrong word and and floundering is kind of the same word there, but just having to give it all to, to stay at the level he was at. I think they wanted him to go to Rockford to dominate a little bit and to, you know, dictate play and to be the best player on the ice. And he's been doing that most nights down there. There's a clear difference in him versus other defensemen on the team. So, as far as that goes, he's doing well. I just, and I'm not, this is not anything I've been told or anything. It just has a very similar feel to the way they talked about Schmaltz and the way they talked about Teravinen. It just has that sort of feel where, wait, this is a guy we've been hearing about for years and now he's here and it's, he's getting treated oddly. And I, I don't know what to make of it. And, and I hope that what I'm being told about him, just they want, want him in Rockford to be down there dominating. I hope that's true. I hope that's the case because he is absolutely one of the Blackhawks' top six defensemen right now. Maybe they just are protecting him. Maybe they just value him so much that they want to develop him correctly. If that's the case, I'm on board. I just don't. I just don't get it at this point. I just, I just really don't understand. Yeah, and it came. The send down came in one of those weird times where the Blackhawks were still insisting that they had a chance to get into the playoffs, and 
sending Yokoharu down to me at all the looks of like a tank move, right? Because it like demonstrably made your team worse by doing it. Yes. And obviously he would have been, you know, helping the big league roster. But yeah, I feel like the move definitely was a it was a confidence building thing. I think your argument makes total sense. I still think, though, that if you're struggling that hard to play at that effective of a level at the NHL, that might may be an indictment of what they potentially think his ceiling is at the NHL level. If they think that he has to fight to keep his head above water and play at a third or fourth defenseman level, that's definitely lower than the ceiling we probably thought he had of maybe being like a top two defenseman at some point in his career. But See, it, it's it's still so early, though. Yeah. Like I, I feel like it's still so premature to say those kinds of things. But we obviously have to try to draw these conclusions based on the way that the organization is handling them. And it's really hard to kind of get a grip on what they actually think they've got in Henry Okaharu, who, by the way, is averaging like basically a point a game in Rockford. So if they wanted him to go down and dominate and play well offensively and do some good stuff defensively, he's definitely doing it. Well, I want to go back to something you said, and I, I want to make sure this is this is clear because um, I do not think that they're losing faith in him. I, I, and I don't think by what I said, what, having him struggle to just remain afloat here doesn't say doesn't indicate that he won't get better as time goes on. I'm going to ask uh, longtime Hawks fans to rewind in their mind's eye to the rookie seasons of Brent Seabrook and Duncan Keith. And I remember looking at my friends about both those guys and saying, if these guys are the future, the future is screwed because they <laughs> were flat out bad in their early years. And yeah, they were on teams that were not nearly as skilled and they were on a ma- underneath a management uh, crew that was not great at coaching or developing either, but they did not look the part their first two years. I mean, flat out, like, Seabrook would fall down. Duncan Keith would would misplay pucks all the time. It, it, I was genuinely concerned, and it wasn't just me. It was all these people that I went to every game with back in the day. We would just look at each other like, oh, my God, if these two are the future, it's not going to be great. But defensemen take time. It doesn't happen overnight with these guys. And what I've seen from Yokoharu, I can tell you, is markedly better from what I saw from Keith and Seabrook on their first days. And, look, obviously – are you Le- saying he's the next Nick Lidstrom? Yes, I'm definitely saying that. Um, <laughs> no, but that was a Gustav Forsling joke, yeah, by oh the way, God. for uh, listeners who don't uh, catch every episode. Yeah, but I think I'm still hopeful that, and I still believe that he's going to be a really good, maybe not a, the next Duncan Keith or Nick Lidstrom, like you said, but I do think he could be a really solid, like a Nicholas Jalmerson type. And if you got that guy. You know, Jalmerson, if he was not on the Blackhawks during the dynasty or whatever you want to call it, he's a number two, number one on some teams. So if if Yokoharu becomes Nicholas Jalmerson with maybe a little more offensive upside, that is an absolute win. And and Mm -hmm. I think that is a realistic expectation for him. 100% correct. Um, That if that's his ceiling, then yes, that is a tremendously successful draft pick by Stan Bowman and company and for all I know, that's still what they think they've got in him. But I don't know the the messaging behind the send down, if it was a confidence thing or if it was a let's let you kind of get settled down, like get you not trying quite so hard, you know, and like struggling at times on the ice and all that. It, it's still just it's hard for me to really get a beat on what the organization thinks of him. I still think highly of him and I think he can be a very effective defenseman, but it's it's so weird that the 
uh, development track of defensemen. And it's always so hard to kind of get a gauge on what the Blackhawks think of guys, because as you've alluded to, they've kind of shown just a bit of a scattershot, like kind of love and hate of guys like Tavo and the like. And it's, it's been very, it's been interesting watching this saga unfold. And as, as time goes on, it becomes clearer and clearer that Yokoharu is not coming back up this season. And it's just interesting to me that they would bury him in the AHL for virtually half the year. If they really think uh, that highly of his future development and his future career arc. Yeah, I I don't know. It's hard to make too much of it. I think that this summer uh, will will say a lot for what they think of him. Um, if he's not here, and I know we're way ahead of ourselves, we got a whole summer to do this. But if he's not here, uh, opening day, then I think some major alarm bells go off for me. I think then then I'm really concerned because um, you know I think a lot of people thought. Going into this year, like, okay, he's got an outside chance. If he performs really well, maybe he makes the team. And he did. He performed really well in the preseason, really well in the early season, and he earned a spot. And, yeah, there was a definite decline as the season went on. But it was still sort of a crapshoot on whether or not he was going to make it this whole season. And he hasn't. Even before this year started, the target for full-time Yokoharu was next year was next coming season. So if that's not the case, if he's not a guy here for, you know, 82 games barring injury, then I think there's some cause for concern. I really do. But we're not going to know that until next year. I just think that for now, I'm buying in on what they're saying about the plan with him. Let him dominate. Let him get some confidence built up. And then next year, he'll be ready to go full stop. Fine. I get that. He really came in without any AHL play. He wouldn't. He came from... Uh, the Western Hockey League to the NHL. It's a big jump. So there is some benefit to playing and developing in the American Hockey League. So for now, I'm buying in. But if next year comes around and he's not starting the season and ending the season on the Blackhawks, then, then I have some issues. I guess I guess it's just me being the pessimist again. Like I, I anytime this organization starts talking about their plans for a defenseman, I just kind of get a I get a look in my eyes like okay let's let's see what you really think about this guy because I've seen too many Gustav Forslings and Nick Letty's and Jan Ruda's come and go to really uh understand when they're really buying into the hype about a guy and when they're just saying the words yeah I'm I I understand that I think uh there's definitely a, a a seed of doubt planted because of the way they've treated other guys but at the same time, it's like if you are dating a girl um, and your last girlfriend cheated on you, it doesn't necessarily mean this one's going to cheat on you, too. Maybe that's a strange <laughs> analogy, but I think you, you've got to look at each situation individually. And the way the Nick Schmaltz thing unfolded, um, you know, I think things changed this year. This summer, I still think they believed in Nick Schmaltz. And I still think they thought, OK, this is going to be the time where he makes his jump. And it just never really happened here. I think they quickly pulled the trigger and realized, look, we either have to pay this guy big money or move on, and they chose to move on. And I think they made the right move. So, um, well, clearly the way Dylan Strom has worked out for them, I mean, that's God, that's true. That's like trade of the year type material right there. Just the relationship he's developed with Alex DeBrincat. So, for all the insults, I was just throwing a, at least a little bit at the Blackhawks. I do have to give uh, credit on that one. No doubt. All right, let's take a timeout. Um, we are way behind on our commercial reads. So we got to remind you guys uh, if you self all seasons coming around, 
I know that uh, Homewood Baseball is ordering their uniforms. you got to call Triple Threat Sports, uh, triplethreatsports.com. For all your team outfitting needs, they will hook you up. They'll get you the right-looking uniform. Your legal look great. And if you need a Hawks jersey, Bears jersey, Cubs jersey, whatever, uh, you want an authentic that looks like it does on the field, give them a call, 708-478-6090, or send them an email, chris at triplethreatsports.com. Triple Threat Sports, if you can wear it, they can make it. And also got to tell you about our friends at Marishka's in Crest Hill. I had uh, friends of mine had a birthday party in Crest Hill yesterday. And I go, listen, I know you don't know what this place is. I know you think I'm weird for berating you about this, but you have to go there for dinner when you leave this party. They're like, what is it? I'm like, it's a supper club. They got poor boys, twice baked potatoes. Trust me, go, go, go. They ended up going. They ended up loving it. They ended up thanking me for it. So I'm telling you, we've been telling you guys for years to go to Marishka's. We told our friends to go. They went. They were happy. You go. You're going to be happy too. 604 Theodore Street in Crest Hill. They're closed only on Christmas, Easter, the 4th of July, and Thanksgiving. So go visit our friends at Marishka's. Uh, Marishka's.com or Facebook.com slash Marishka's. That's M-E-R-I-C-H-K-A-S. We'll be back with the three stars. Email the show and a whole lot more on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. What you doing? Designing my new 2021 Nissan Kicks Online in the Kicks Color Studio, I give each a special name. This one's electric blue, orange, red, white. I call it the gumball machine. You think it's me? I feel like you're more of a red velvet guy. Limitless possibilities. With over 100 million available color combinations and Bose Personal Plus system in the boldly new 2021 Nissan Kicks. Bose is a registered trademark of the Bose Corporation. Color combinations include interior and exterior colors. Customization is an available feature subject to availability at participating Nissan dealer. See dealer for details. Is QuickBooks slowing your business down? Do you have challenges managing inventory, project profitability, or just getting paid fast enough? Get your business to a better place and graduate to NetSuite today. Stop paying for multiple systems that don't give you the information you need when you need it. Ditch the spreadsheets and all the old software you've outgrown. Now is the time to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. NetSuite gives you visibility and control over your financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more. Everything you need, all in one place, instantaneously. Whether you're doing a million or hundreds of millions in revenue, save time and money with NetSuite. Join the over 24,000 companies using NetSuite right now. Let NetSuite show you how they'll benefit your business with a free product tour at netsuite.com slash play. Schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com slash play. netsuite.com slash play. The three stars of the week are brought to you by our star real estate broker, Michael Elwood of Remax First Service, serving all your real estate needs in the Chicagoland area. 708-675-1600. Number three star of the week goes to defenseman Connor Murphy with one assist, eight shots on goal, and seven block shots in last night's game alone. James, I think Murphy's game has really sort of turned a corner here over the last little bit. His last, you know, five, six, seven games have been really, really solid defensively. Yeah, I mean, he's he's one of those guys that I feel like we oftentimes kind of overlook in favor of looking at the struggles of a Brent Seabrook or a Duncan Keith or whether we're and we're looking at the younger guys, your Carl Dahlstroms and uh, your Slater Cuckoos. I feel like Connor Murphy kind of gets lost in the shuffle quite a bit when we're looking at the defense. But, yeah, I feel like the last few 
games, especially the last probably like five or six games, I've I've liked what I've seen from Connor Murphy. He got off to kind of a slow start this season because he had the back issue coming out of uh, summer off season work. And I feel lately he's been doing a lot better job defensively. And obviously Jeremy Colladin is seeing this, too, because he played, I believe it was over 23 minutes last night against the Dallas Stars. And he was the Blackhawks second uh, most like longest time on ice defenseman last night. Duncan Keith didn't even crack 20 minutes last night, but Connor Murphy did. So clearly Jeremy Colladin is seeing what I've been seeing out of Connor Murphy lately, and I've been liking what he's uh, been doing on the ice. Number two star of the week goes to Alex DeBrinkett. He had a a goal last night. He had an assist against Buffalo. I'm sorry, a game-winning shootout goal against Buffalo and an assist against the Sharks. So really solid week for Alex DeBrinkett. Like James said, uh, 37 goals, 29 assists on the season. That's 66 points in 68 games. Uh, he's good. Yeah, kind of good. Um, good things come in small packages, I suppose. Thank God. What the, what? The less- <laughs> Who said that? What was that? I don't know what that was. Anyway, so, somebody cut into our uh, Skype feed. But that was weird. Al- Alex DeBrinkett has, just like I said earlier, he has been kind of operating a little bit in Patrick Kane's shadow because of how well Patrick Kane's been playing this season. And obviously Jonathan Tapes has gotten a ton of headlines too because of the bounce back season that he's had. But don't sleep on the sophomore season of an Alex DeBrincat. He's had a really strong year, pretty much a point per game guy. Yes, it has helped that he's gotten Dylan Strom over here. And I think that's helped take his game to potentially another level. But I I still I cannot get over the fact that you and I, Jay, talked about him being kind of like a 30 to 35 goal a season guy. And we thought that that was maybe going to be about the tops of what he could accomplish. And now he's like pretty much poised unless something crazy happens. I think he's going to hit 40 goals this season. It's it's remarkable watching his development and how exciting a young player he is. And everybody keeps talking about wanting Artemi Panarin back on the Blackhawks. Frankly, I'll just go ahead and take Alex DeBrincat or Timmy Panarin can sign for eleven million a season somewhere else. Yeah, I, it's it's hard to argue with that, and, and he's DeBrincat has stepped into that very similar role on the power play, that far side as uh, one timer sort of uh, setup. He's he's been great, and yeah, it'd be great to have both. But again, with eleven million bucks, there's a lot I could do to fix this Blackhawks team without adding one guy who would be a luxury as opposed to two guys that would be that would fill needs. And you mean think, like two defensemen? Well, defensemen or depth forwards, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I'm done looking at John Hayden. I'm sorry. I just don't think it's going to happen here. Um, I'm ready for guys on the third and fourth lines that you can count on to be uh, contributors on a night-to-night basis and not just like hoping, praying, fingers crossed that they actually provide something. Number one star of the week goes to, guess who? Patrick Kane with three assists in his last three games, uh, surpassing Steve Larmer. On the Blackhawks all-time scoring list, uh, the accolades just keep piling up for the best Blackhawks player in, geez, uh, probably since the early 90s, late 90s. Uh, Patrick Kane just absolutely on fire. And uh, even in a week where it's only a point per game, uh, still a really, really, really solid performance from Kane. Uh, something I did want to bring up while we were talking about Patrick Kane and Steve Larmer is I mentioned on the uh, post-game show Thursday night that I thought that since the Blackhawks had gotten away from the you have to be a Hall of Famer to have your number hoisted to the rafters of the UC, do you think Steve Larmer should have his number up there? Yes, that was in the Tribune yesterday. I think, here's the thing, and I know a lot of people that we uh, agree with in our hockey circle think this should happen. 
if you put Steve Larmer's number up there, and I'm fine, I'm either way, okay? Sure, if you want to do it, great. That opens the window for a lot more. You're already looking at for sure when this dynasty's over. Taves, Kane, Keith Seabrook. There's no doubt about those four, right? And Hosa. Okay. If you put Larmer up there, Hosa's up there for sure. If you put Larmer up there, Patrick Sharp's probably up there for sure. Corey Crawford's got two Stanley Cups. He's going to have to be up there. I just think, like, it depends on how many numbers you want up there. If you're going to – because Steve Larmer was an awesome Blackhawk. There's no doubt. But I think when you talk to people about Steve Larmer from outside Chicago, they think of him as a Ranger or a Hawk or whatever. Like It's kind of like, ah, you know, he had good years at a bunch of places. To me, he doesn't scream out Blackhawks legend. And, and I wonder if the same thing could be said for Marion Hossa, where Hossa's best years statistically were in Ottawa and in Atlanta, not so much here. Yes, he accomplished three Stanley Cups here, and that's what truly matters. And I think most people will remember him as a Blackhawk, but I don't know. I, I, I just I wonder what how willing they are to make it. I think the, the more numbers you put up there, the less special it becomes, right? So mm-hmm. if they haven't been motivated to put Larmer's number up there by now, what's going to change it? You have already got, in the next five or six years, at least four numbers going up there. I don't know if Larmer would necessarily open the door to a Patrick Sharp getting his number put up there just because, um, I mean, Steve Larmer's the fourth leading scorer in Blackhawks history, or at least he was until Patrick Kane came along. I mean, that's a that's pretty elite company that he found himself in with guys like Makita and Hull and Dennis Savard. Like, to me... That being in the top five and scoring in an original six franchise, that's a pretty big yeah. deal. And obviously those three guys that are in front of them all have their numbers at the in the rafters of the UC. And there are still some people who obviously are going to say that, oh, well, you know, Larmer's numbers weren't good enough to get into the Hall of Fame, you know. Blah. And it's like, you know what? He had enough of an impact where I think you can make the argument that he should be up there. And by the way, if you're going to retire number seven for Brent Seabrook, are you putting Chris Chelios's name on that banner too? You have to. You have to. Yeah. I mean, you kind of have to. It's like it's one of those things where when they retired the number 3 for Pierre Pilat, they felt like they had to put it up there for Keith Magnuson too. And the Cubs with uh Fergie Jenkins and Greg Maddox. Like that that to me it makes all the sense in the world if you're going to retire it for Seabrook, you have to put Chelios on that banner too. Well, let me ask you this. I'm glad we talked about this. We sort of sprung upon this uh this topic. And who do you who do you think defines Blackhawks more? Larmer or Roenick? Oof. Uh that era of Blackhawks, I mean, you almost have to say Jeremy Roenick, right? Like yes. at, at least to, at least from my perspective, when Jeremy Roenick came up, I was a very young man. And he defined Blackhawks hockey for me. Like he was the young, exciting player who scored a crap ton of goals and was always like a blast to watch or listen to on the radio. Like And obviously he had the brash personality too. And I was furious when they traded him. So yeah, I'd say Jeremy Roenick probably. Yeah. So if you don't put, if you're, if you don't put his number up there, look, I know statistically Steve Larmer has the edge, but I I think the impact of the organization matters. And look, Keith Magnuson is not a number retired kind of guy by any sort of standard athletically that you could find. Like he was a fine defenseman for a while, but it was more about his heart and his grid and, and, you know, um, the David versus Goliath sort of a thing from him, and mm-hmm. then what he did in his career afterwards for the organization, those sort of periphery things matter. So 
I don't know, to me, I think Jeremy Roenick had more of an impact on what the Hawks did and what the Hawks represented during that time than what Steve Lummer did. And yeah, you might want to be butthurt about, you know, Jeremy going on and being a successful player in other cities. Well, you traded him. You're the one that traded him. And yeah, he's brash and yeah, he's a big mouth. And yes, he has turned into a clown. And it makes me sad every time I see him on TV. But the dude was, that guy defined Blackhawks hockey and 90s NHL hockey probably more than anybody. That dude, aside from Gretzky and Lemieux, that guy was one of the faces of the league. He did everything, a physical player, a 50-goal scorer, just an electrifying hockey player from the first shift he took in the league till he retired. That dude gave everything he had. I, I think that if you're going to talk about Larmer, you got to talk about Roenick. Chelios is going to be up there because of the Seabrook um, you know, uh, asterisk, I guess you'd say. But, but Chelios should be up there too. Chelios is probably the best defenseman in organization history. Mm. You know? He's got an let me, argument. Let, let me run an idea Keith. by you. Yeah. How about do a ring of honor instead of retiring numbers? Well, that I mean, that that's probably what it will have to come to, right? Like that that's probably what uh, that, that that's probably what they're gonna have to do. And then leave the retired numbers to like the true greats. Like the Hall of Famers. Yeah, but Magnuson's not in the Hall of Fame. So yeah, what do you do? And you've you already it? you've already crossed you, that bridge, right? You can't take the number down. Um, <laughs> Why not? Let's go ahead and do it. <laughs> I don't know. None of this truly matters, but I know it's no, something. No, it's just it's something fun to talk about. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I don't know how they would handle it. I think a ring of honor is a good idea. Um, but maybe you just leave it. Leave retired numbers for the pillars of the organization. You have to. What you have to do is you have to define it, right? You have mm. to define what. Okay, these numbers are up here for this reason. This is what separates them from the the Ring of Honor players, right? So if you're talking pillars of the organization, when these numbers are retired, it's Kane, Taves, Keith, Seabrook, and that's it, right? That'd be my perspective, And yes. then Hosa, Sharp, Crawford uh, are Ring of Honor guys. I would say I would say Hosa is like kind of straddles the line, and yes, I would say Sharp and Crawford would be Ring of Honor. I would love to retire Marion Hosa's jersey. I would love to have... 81 hanging over the United Center forever. I really would because I love the guy. Probably my favorite player of the of the era of the uh, dynasty. And like and like we've said, they do not win three Stanley Cups without him. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I I just I don't know. I wonder. It's it's going to be a, a very. I, I'm very curious as to how they handle it. And I wonder if like Kane and Taves get their own days, or if they do all th- both those guys, or or four of them together, or whatever. I'd imagine Kane and Taves are going to probably get their numbers retired on the same day. Yeah. And I'd imagine that they're both they're probably going to get statues too. And they should do this they should do a day for Keith and Seabrook together too cuz they the names just go together. You you don't say one without the other. Right. But then what about Chris Chelios? Does he just kind of like awkwardly like lurk in the background? What well, I think when they brought him back to the organization there was probably a little bit of like foresight with that. Um, just to make him part of things again, to have him around, to have him being seen. Um, so when Seabrook does call it a career um, and they put that number up there, and maybe, I don't know, are we assuming Seabrook? Should we maybe. assume Seabrook? But I also, th- I think to your point, I feel like the you I, I feel like the Keith Seabrook thing kind of works in Seabrook's favor to get his number retired because he just, like, you can't say one name without the other, and there is no doubt Duncan Keith's retire- n- number will be retired. Not to mention, Seabrook has had so many memorable highlights. 
Hell yeah, dude. The game seven goal against Detroit. Yeah. The the hit in the winter classic where he sent what was it, Derek like Cleary sent yeah. him over the boards. Yep. Like so many like iconic Chicago Blackhawks moments have involved Brent Seabrook in some way. Well, I think he's in. I, I'm yeah, I'm definitely probably. hanging that number up. All right, let's tell our uh, listeners about our friends at Rabbit, then we'll get to the email of the show. Rabbit Brewing in Homewood uh, was there the other day trying out the Girl Scout pairing. I taught you about this uh, last podcast we did together. Absolutely phenomenal. All the Girl Scout cookies are gone. People went in there and took to that very quickly. They were doing beer yoga this morning. Uh, there's always something great happening at Rabbit. And keep your eye on rabbitbrewing.com and their Facebook page. Before Dark Lord Day, before Three Floyd's Dark Lord Day, they're going to have their own sort of uh, uh, their own event in honor of and around Dark Lord Day. You're going to have 20,000 people in town that are craft brew fans for Dark Lord Day. Rabbit's going to take advantage. They're going to have their own thing. They're very close to Three Floyd's, by the way. So if you ever wanted to make a Southside uh, brewery run, you could hit up Rabbit on your way to Three Floyd's or on the way back, whatever. Um, everyone gets along. It's a great brew community. So go visit them in Homewood. Try the Hexed. That is my favorite. The Blackberry Apricot, absolutely phenomenal. Uh, the chocolate milk uh, porter is there. The oatmeal stout's there. Everything is phenomenal. At Rabbit, so go check them out. The time has come for you to drink mythological level craft ales. Visit the Southland re- legend, Rabbit Brewing in Homewood, Illinois. James, are you ready for the email of the show? I was born ready. Email the guys at madhousepod at gmail.com or follow them on Twitter at madhousepod. The email of the show is brought to you by Chuck Southern Comforts Cafe with locations in Burbank and Darien. Visit chuckscafe.com. Head on out there. I went there last week, had uh, two weeks ago actually, had the, the taste I had that night was barbecue nachos. Phenomenal. Just very basic. Some pulled pork, some barbecue sauce, all the great nacho toppings. Delicious. Uh, my wife... Loved her meal. My daughter loved her meal. Every time we go there, there's something new. There's something great to try. So go visit our friends, chuckscafe.com. Check out the specials. That's where the the real great stuff lies. It's where Chuck really puts his mind to work and comes up with some great um, new ideas. We tried an app the other time we were there. They're called, uh, I think, Bosin Balls, B-O-U-S-I-N, Balls. It was pulled pork, uh, chorizo, and rice and like a, a a fried ball oh my god it was one of the best things i've ever tasted so go check them out chuckscafe.com all right email the show is very short this week but i think it will touch on a nerve for you james this is from Catherine. she says when will we start being serious about moving gustison to forward no yes <laughs> yes somebody listens to the show <laughs> Go ahead. This is this is your baby. Take it, oh, sir. Man. The floor is yours. This is my intellectual infant. <laughs> and let me tell you something. She's absolutely right. Why aren't we talking about this more? I feel like the Blackhawks are going to have enough money to spend in free agency. They've got enough prospects in the system to give a bunch of guys a shot. Why the hell not move Eric Gustafson to forward? If you want to have him play the points on the power play, that's fine. That's great. They do it all the time. They have forwards play the point constantly on the power play. It's not a big deal. Eric Gustafson would profile to me to be a second or a third line winger. You had Dustin friggin' Bufflin play 
uh, as a forward on this team. And it worked. You know what else will work? Moving Gustafson up. I do not want to see any more of his boneheaded defensive plays on the back end. I want to see that guy scoring goals, dishing out assists, and reveling in the glory and the love of Blackhawks fans as a forward. Eric Gustafson, move up, my man. That is a great email, Jay. I am full of happiness right now. All right, now I'm trying to think of historically, throughout NHL history, guys that started as defensemen and moved to forward and had some success doing so. I can think of other way, right? I guess Dustin Bufflin's an example. He played defense, played forward for the Hawks. During Didn't the Brent Burns bounce back and forth too? Uh, yes, but now he has settled in a defense. Well, yeah, but so is Dustin Bufflin. Mark Street had the same deal. Yes. Um, trying to think, just off the top of my head, wasn't Wendell Clark a defenseman to start? Hmm. Uh, I know it's a little before your time. A little bit, yeah. Um, let me see. I'm just trying to think of like guys where it's really, really like, well, that that really worked. You know, you know just give it a shot, and if it doesn't it work, it he knows hurt. how to play defenseman. Yeah, move him back. Well, the other thing, too, is you could try it. If it doesn't work, you move them back. And you've also got um, enough prospects coming up that you like. That That's not, what I'm saying, man. Not, well, you've got the opportunity. Do it. But even, even, if, even if it doesn't work, though, it is what I'm saying. If it doesn't work and he is stuck at defense, you can at least bury his minutes. And you can match him up correctly. Dang. Uh, yeah. So like, Treat him like a fifth or sixth defenseman like he should be, not a third or fourth. And then... The defensive lapses won't be that big a deal. And, oh, yeah, you can still use him on the power play and in moments where you need your defenseman pinching in to help with scoring. Yeah. So I feel, I see a lot of wins here, and I don't see very many losses. I feel like this might be one of my best ideas I've ever had. Well, I'm going to give that one to you then. If it happens, we'll call that the James Naveau idea. We'll brand it. Uh, well, it's only if it works, of course. Um. Well, if it doesn't work, we'll just endlessly mock me because that's how that works, too. We're a very equal opportunity kind of podcast. Here. Well, I was going to say we'll pretend like it never happened, but I'm down for mocking. If you'd rather be mocked, I can arrange that. I can accept that. I mean, I, <laughs> the way I figure it is that if I'm going to take all the glory and the credit and parade around like I know what I'm talking about, then I have to be willing to eat crow if it blows up in my face. That's fair. All right. That's going to do it for this edition of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. We are back. Sorry about my trip to Arizona. We're back on our main schedule. We'll be doing post games and stuff. Uh, I said tomorrow, Monday, I will be at the Hawks game. So can you handle posts? I suppose or I can we handle skip that. It or whatever. We'll figure it out. Um, but want to thank our sponsors, Triple Threat Sports. For all your team outfitting needs, call Chris, 708-478-6090. Marishka's in Crest Hill, family-owned and operated since 1933. Chuck's Southern Coverage Cafe with locations in Burbank and Darien. Visit chuckscafe.com. Rabbit Brewing. The time has come for you to drink mythological level craft ales. Visit the Southland legend Rabbit Brewing in Homewood, Illinois. And of course, last but not least, our star real estate broker, Michael Elwood with Remax First Service, 708-675-1600. Find your dream home with Michael Elwood of Remax First Service. We will talk to you soon and often on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. What you doing? Designing my new 2021 Nissan Kicks Online in the Kicks Color Studio. I give each a special name. This one's electric blue, orange, red, white. I call it the gumball machine. You think it's me? I feel like you're more of a red velvet guy. 
limitless possibilities. With over 100 million available color combinations and Bose Personal Plus system in the boldly new 2021 Nissan Kicks. Bose is the registered trademark of the Bose Corporation. Color combinations include interior and exterior colors. Customization is an available feature subject to availability at participating Nissan dealer. See dealer for details. If you look around, you'll see the world can be pretty smart. Okay, very smart. At Capella University, we think education should be smart too. That's why we're reshaping online learning with our FlexPath format. You can set your own deadlines, take classes at your own pace, even leverage your previous experience to move faster. So when it comes to earning your bachelor's degree, you know what kind of choice to make. A smart one. Visit capella.edu to learn more. Capella University. Don't just learn, learn smarter.